Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Anyway, so we're here to talk about, of course, Jesus today and, and um, you know, celebrate the birth of our Savior. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this a little twist. I know Pastor, you know, he... Uh, you know, has a way of teaching, and only, only pastor can do it. Sometimes, you know, when I share, I try to share like a maybe a little bit different uh, angle inside. So, hopefully, you enjoyed this. I, had, I got a phone call late last night asking to share today, and I thought, you know what, I don't have a Christmas message. So, we, we put one together, and uh, I enjoyed putting it together. Some interesting things here, and, and hopefully, hopefully, you guys will get, get something out of it. But, um, anyway, if you guys want to flip over, we will, we will start. Uh, let's see here. I believe we're in the book of Luke. <clears throat> you know, we as Christians are, of course, to be followers of Christ. And so, uh, you know, our example is not man. Our example is the master. And so, we're to follow after him. In fact, the very word Christian means what? Christ-like. That we are to be like Christ, and pattern our lives after Him. And so, that is our example, of course. But, you know, throughout the ages, Christians who have given their hearts and life to Christ, I believe, you know, we can certainly look at their lives. I'm the kind of guy, you know, maybe, maybe the way I was raised, uh, I don't know if my parents taught me this or what, but just kind of compartmentalize individuals' lives. And so, you can learn from everyone. You can learn what to do, what not to do. You can learn, hey, I'd like to maybe add this in my life. They do this better than me. Let me, let me learn from this and let me take this. And, uh, you know, and you can learn. And so going back, you know, the, Bible's actually, <clears throat> the Bible actually states that these things are written, you know, the Old Testament, these things are written as an example unto us. And so, you know, you can even you can look at the life of David, who's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And although you would want to pattern your life after everything of David, there were some tremendous things of David. You know, the Bible states that David, he's the only one that ever stated that, listen, this is a man after God's own heart. And so there's, there's aspects of individuals' lives, you know, that you can look at and you're like, you know what? You know, I'd like to, I'd like to be like that. You know, Peter. You know, I look at Peter and I, I can relate to Peter. And so, you know, uh, different aspects of his life. And so what I want to talk to you about, you know, uh, this morning, which at some point in my own studies, I think I'm going to put together maybe a series on past, which we'll call saints, which are Christians that have gone before us, that have lived a life in a certain format, in a certain form, that I believe can be examples to us. Once again, we are followers of Jesus, but we can be inspired by those that have come before us. We can look at certain individual lives and say, you know what? That's something I can learn from. And so today I actually want to talk to you about the former, you know, what we would uh, identify as Santa Claus or Saint Nick. And so I want to talk to you today about what we might be able to learn from a brother that went, went long before us. 
and take a look at maybe his life, seeing how it's a Christmas season. Is there anything that we can glean from this? Is there anything of, of this individual's life or any reason that his, his name has been carried down through the centuries that uh, might be able to inspire me or, or motivate me? Today, the version of Santa Claus is not the real version. Everybody know that? So, uh, which I'll share with that in a minute. But anyway, is there anything in this individual's life that, that we might be able to glean from? <clears throat> On December 23rd, 1823, 1823, we're nearly 200, or, uh, 200 years ago, this is less than 50 years after the Revolutionary War, there was a man named Clark Moore that lived near Troy, New York. Anybody know where that's at? It's about 13 minutes from my, uh, uh, Albany. Y'all have ever been to Albany? It's about two and a half hours north of New York City, seven hours from here. This man, Clark Moore, wrote a poem. And it was published in a local newspaper called The Sentinel. December 23rd, 1823. And it was called A Visit from St. Nicholas. And it was, it was written... And so this became a very famous poem, and later the poem was changed. Instead of being called a visit from St. Nicholas, they changed the name to Twas the Night Before Christmas. Maybe you remember some of the poem. It goes like this. It says, uh, Was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, and hoped St. Nicholas would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visitors of sugar plums danced in their heads and, and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap just settled down, settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Anybody ever hear that? I don't know about today's generation. I don't know if they get it today. I don't know if my children would know this. But certainly my age, which is young, and going, and going before me, how many of you remember this? How many of you could quote it? This is a, this is a, famous, this is a famous poem. And from this poem, from December 23rd, 1823, we have taken the story of St. Nicholas, and it has been through you know, commercialization, hey, I can make some money off this. We've taken this poem, and we've now deducted what we would translate into Santa Claus today. And so, you know, we, did, we you know, paint a picture of Santa Claus being a jolly, red-faced man uh, in a red suit, smoking a pipe. An elf-like creature. And that's all deducted from this poem, which is probably, to be honest with you, it's probably written in an innocent form. I'm sure the man didn't mean anything by it or anything. It's just an innocent poem. But those who've taken this poem and, of course, uh, you know, bent it and twisted it and figured out how we can make money with this. So, anyway, for most of our lives, for much of our lives, we've been presented this version of Santa Claus as a man in a red suit and a red hat, black belt, pipe, and, uh, you know, this is what we've been presented. And so, you know, many things that we are given today are based on truth. I don't know if you know about this, but Friday the 13th is based on a truth. There's a truth. Uh, and what that goes back to is a Knights Templar is they were uh, actually defending believers traveling back and forth to the Holy Land. as a group of monks that trained in you know, special warfare, and we're defending Christians traveling back and forth to the Holy Land from Europe. And so this went on, 
you know, and of course the Crusades came after this. And uh, for whatever reason, the uh, the king of France and the Pope felt they were, they were getting too too uh, too strong. And there's some other details there, but anyway, they felt they were getting too strong, and so they had them burn at a stake on Friday the 13th. And so the guy's name, I forget, I can't pronounce his last name, I believe his name is Jean-Claude something, I don't know. Some French name. Pete can tell me after, after church. So, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, as they're getting ready to, you know, as they're getting ready on the burn on the stake, he said, I declare within a year both the Pope and the King of France will both be dead, and they were. And so that's why they declared Friday the 13th to be a day of bad luck. So, but there's a history there. There's a history behind Dracula. It goes back to, uh, there's a story behind that, which I shared that before here when, when preaching about Islam. Santa Claus is no different. There's a story behind the story, so to speak. And as we as Christians, it's important that we understand, you know, really, you know, maybe what this is based on. And I'm going to share a little bit about the story of Nicholas. And uh, maybe it'll mean something to you that you can pass down to your kids, your grandkids, and generations to come. Amen. Nicholas was born on March 15th, 270 A.D. And he died December 6th, 343 A.D. He was a Christian bishop. He lived in a town called Patara in ancient Greece, which the town was later renamed and called Demri, which is in modern-day Turkey. Demery or Demery? I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce it. Demery. We'll call it Demery. In modern-day Turkey, which is on the southern southernmost coast of Turkey, uh, on the on the coastline there. So the true story of Nicholas goes like this: that there was an ancient merchant. There was a guy who was a businessman. He had three daughters, and they were all in, in the age of being able to marry. And so during these days, uh you know, for a girl to get married, the, the father of, you know, the bride would have to present a dowry. And so I presented a really large dowry just recently. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> father... <laughs> Fathers of the bride would present this dowry, which would be property or money. And so, and anyway, for, for Nabal, uh, you know, for his daughter to be able to get married. And so, uh, anyway, what happened was a tragic event. This merchant, this businessman, went out. He had a ship, and he went out. A sh he took his ship out to sea. And uh, during this time, it was sieged by a group of pirates. And the pirates scourged the ship, stole everything he had, and uh, left this guy with basically nothing. So he had three daughters in the marrying age, had no dowry, no money to give them. And so he was worried that, uh, that he wouldn't be able to marry his daughters off. During his days, if a, daughter, if a girl wasn't married off, it would be easy for her to fall into slavery or fall into prostitution. And so the father, of course, being concerned, they say, began to pray earnestly daily. This became a daily prayer of his. He put around the clock, as one story goes, God, listen, you've got to get me something so I can, you know, enable my daughters to be able to get married so they don't fall into, you know, a life of prostitution or what have you. Pray around the clock. In the local neighborhood in Demry, there in Turkey, uh, which, was, which was ancient Greece, uh, in the neighborhood there was a young bishop named Nicholas. Nicholas discovered one day the plight 
of this man, of this merchant and his daughters. That he was, you know, upset he had three daughters, not just one, but three. And, uh, you know, he, need, he needed to get them married off. One evening in the middle of the night, Nicholas secretly slipped a sack of gold coins through the window of the merchant, of the store owner, snuck over to his house at night and snuck a bag of gold coins into the window of the merchant's house. The gift saved the virtue of the man's oldest daughter. She was soon after uh, able to marry. And so he saved one of the three daughters. Later on, doesn't say how far later on, but uh, later on, lo and behold, a second sack of gold coins showed up in the man's window. And the second daughter was saved. And she was able to marry. Now on to this, what's going on, the merchant decided, you know what, I'm going to stay up. And I'm going to find out who's dropping these gold coins in the window, because nobody knew. And so the time came when he you know, felt that, uh, you know, that maybe another sack of coins would be dropped off. He stayed up. And one story, one uh, tradition goes like this. I'll share this with you. One tradition states that when Nicholas was sneaking over the bag of coins, he spotted the merchant in the window in the dark waiting for him. And so he snuck around the back of the house, climbed up on the roof, and dropped down a sack of coins down the chimney. Now, we don't know if that actually happened, but we do know this, is a third set of coins was dropped off. He was seen by the merchant and chased down the street. The merchant ran him down, ran him down, down the street, captured him, caught him, and realized it was, the, you know, it was a face that he knew very well. It was a local bishop, Nicholas. And so, uh, you know, because he was a humble man, uh, you know, the bishop didn't want any credit for what happened. And so, the, uh, you know, the father said, listen, I need to let everyone know what you've done. This, you know, it's an amazing thing. You've changed the lives of my, my daughters. You've saved my family, um, so forth and so on. And he said, listen, I don't want any credit, you know, as we would say in today's society, you know, I wouldn't have my next breath if God didn't give it to me. And that was, that was his heart. That was his attitude. He's a humble man. And uh, he said, listen, I don't want you to let anyone know, any, anybody know. But, it, you know, if you have to, just wait till I, till I die. Just wait till I, till I pass on. And so uh, that was the agreement. You know, the compassionate bishop believed, you know, according to the Bible, that if we do something, we should, we should do it. Not in a fashion to bring glory unto ourselves, but bring glory unto God. And so, you know, once again, if we, if we trace things back far enough, you and I wouldn't have our next breath if He didn't give it to us. So, any aspect of our lives that wants to bring glory unto ourselves is a form of pridefulness. And so really, our lives should be laid down at the altar of God. Listen, here's, here's my life, here's my being. Take, every, take it all. And uh, if there be any glory, let it be unto you. Amen? So it wasn't until his death that the world learned of, of the numerous story, not only the story of, of Nicholas helping these three girls and his family, but upon his death, when this story came out, they said hundreds of stories came out of him helping families all around, all around the village and all around the communities, of him blessing them uh, you know, in secret. And so, <clears throat> I don't know if you, uh, 
I don't know if you remember, but in the Bible, there's a story of a woman named Dorcas. And so, uh, story of a woman named Dorcas, which is a small story. It's, it's, a, you know, it's not a big story, it's a small story. But, you know, the Holy Ghost sought enough of it to include it in the Bible. And so, even if it's only a couple scriptures, it, it's supposed to mean something to us. And so, the Bible says there's a woman named Dorcas who was a widow. Or, or she, she went and passed away. She was probably a widow herself. But uh, anyway, when she passed away, the Bible says that all the widows in the town came out and showed the tunics and clothes that she had made for them. She lived her life in a, in a former fashion of giving whatever tools, whatever abilities, whatever gifting she had in, in a form to benefit others. And the Bible says that all the widows in the town came out and wept and cried and showed the tunics of, of what she did you know, during her lifetime to be a blessing unto her. Nicholas had the same hard attitude. And so what happened was, when he died on December 6th, they began to celebrate year after year on that same day, on December 6th, which was later during the Julian calendar, uh, December 19th. But they began, to, they began to celebrate, not only in his community, but throughout that region of Turkey and throughout Eastern Europe, and began to spread, is that on December 6th, they would come out and in an effort to show the good deeds that Nicholas did in reflection of his Savior, that they were going to give gifts to one another as well. And so, as it began, shortly after Nicholas's death, uh, in Germany and Poland, they began a tradition that boys would come out dressed as bishops, and they would ask for alms, they would ask for, you know, for money, or ask for things, or ask for alms, so that they would be able to later in the day go give it to the poor. In the Netherlands, in Belgium, St. Nicholas... By tradition, they would do this. Nicholas arrived on a, on a steamboat from Spain. And he would ride a horse and give out gifts. And so they would set it up where they would have a steamboat show up that was supposedly from Spain. And they would give gifts to all the kids you know, in the community, so forth and so on. In honor of what St. Nicholas did in reflection of his Savior. The story, the interesting thing is of Nicholas' life, it was almost forgotten. So... When the Reformation happened, and Martin Luther, remember this? Pinned his theses on the door in Wittenberg, Germany. And it began the Reformation, where, which began the Lutheran Church, was later, you know, uh, you know, included other Protestant denominations similar, similar to us, is um, the Protestants began to, uh, you know, I guess downplay some of the saints from Catholicism that came before them. And so, anyway, the, the story of the story of St. Nicholas was almost forgotten. But he was so loved, he was so beloved and you know, and so loved, they refused to let it go, and still on December 6th they continued to celebrate and give gifts to one another. To celebrate his selflessness and the way he lived his life. In Europe <clears throat> People still place during this time, uh, in Europe, people still place nuts and apples and sweets uh, in shoes left behind beds. So they, so they begin to leave shoes next to beds or on windowsills, and people would fill them with nuts and apples and things like that. My dad tells a story. He was a farmer from Missouri. He was a cotton picker from Missouri. He tells a story that during Christmases, you know, they might get an apple or they might get, get a couple oranges. And so that was a tradition... Uh, you know, back in Europe. 
When the Europeans arrived in the New World, in the Americas, when the Europeans came to the Americas, they brought this tradition with them. Vikings dedicated a cathedral to him in Greenland, named after St. Nicholas. Columbus arrived in a Haitian port uh, and named the port after St. Nicholas on his very first voyage to the Americas. So not only did he supposedly discover America, but he named a port after St. Nicholas on the same trip. In Florida, Spaniards named an early settlement after St. Nicholas. They called St. Nicholas Ferry. They may know the name of the town now. They named, they named the, the town St. Nicholas Ferry. Not long after, they changed the name to Jacksonville, Florida. It was originally named after St. Nicholas. The story from 1823 from a semi-harmless poem has been taken and twisted and bent and commercialized. But beneath it all, the story can be harkened back to a simple Christian bishop who loved God and loved people. Bishop Nicholas displayed his love throughout giving people gifts, just as our Heavenly Father gave his greatest gift to us in Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's various lessons we can learn from St. Nicholas. You know, I go back and look at some of the saints, and, uh, you know, like I said, once again, if we're going to compartmentalize, uh, you know, we can, we can learn a lot from a lot, from a lot of people. And so St. Saint, Saint Nicholas is certainly one of them. There's various lessons we can learn from St. Nicholas. Number one, our faith always needs to have a practical aspect to it. The Bible says this in James 2.14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep, the, uh, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, it's dead. And so, uh, it goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe in one God, good, even the demons believe in that and shudder. And so, one aspect of we as Christians is faith Needs, our faith, our Christianity, needs to have action to it. It's not a dormant religion. It's not like you accept Jesus and I'm done. Christianity is a life, if we're truly going to be Christ-like, our life needs to be lived as a sacrifice, first of all, to the Master, and then unto others. And so, I, I can think of another great woman that passed away not too long ago, and I've shared about her in the past. And, um, you know, I might not always agree with, with all her doctrine. I might not, but you cannot tell me that uh, if you look at somebody like Mother Teresa, you can't tell me she doesn't have one of the most beautiful hearts, you know, that ever lived. And so there, there's something to be gleaned and something to be learned from these people. And so, you know, I might not, I might not pray to a saint, I might not call somebody, a, you know, father, you know, whatever. But, but if you look at her life, there's something to be learned, and, and we need to compartmentalize. And what can I take from her life? and make it my own? What can I take from Nicholas's life and make it my own? And one is, if we're going to be Christians, we need to be servants. Amen. So, <clears throat> Nicholas's parents died when he was uh, just a boy and left him an inheritance. Left him a, a you know, a wealthy inheritance. And he spent the, spent the rest of his life burying others with whatever, with whatever he had. Let's share a scripture in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, I'm just going to paraphrase it. 
The Bible says this, that God gave one man five talents. Remember this? God gave another man two. God gave another man one. And he said, listen, you know, this man's going out. Uh, you know, the master's going out. And he said, listen, when I return, you know, I want you to put, do something with this. Put it to work. When I return, you know, I expect, expect my portion or what have you. So the Bible says the man with five talents went out and put his five talents to work and, and made five more. The one with two talents went out and put their two gifts or two talents to work and made two more. And the man with one talent, the Bible says, went out and buried it. And, and uh, the Bible says, you know, when the master returned back, he went to collect what was his. And the man with five gave ten. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The man with two, the same thing, now at four, well done, good and faithful servant. The man with one buried what he was given, what the master had given him, buried it and did nothing with it. And the Bible says he, he dug it up and he presented it to the master and said, look, master, here's the talent that you gave me. Here's the thing you gave me. And the Bible, one translation, the master rebukes him and calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Take what is his and give it to the man with... They had five. And so, does God expect us to use what we've been given? And so, no matter what our talents are, no matter what our giftings are, even if our only gift and thing we have is time, we can give time. We can, we can sow time. I can remember we, we had started a nursing home ministry here uh, a number of years ago. And to be honest with you, if you go all the way back when I was in Bible school in Oklahoma, I can remember I was, I was working for FedEx and I'm delivering packages. And uh, I was good at delivering packages. I was bad at picking them up. So, I don't know why. But anyway, I was delivering packages one day, and I go out to Kenosha Street, which is in front of a Bible school, and then I turn right, I can't remember the name of the street, and there was a big nursing home, and on the front porch of the nursing home, there was a sign that probably went from here to the flags, almost. And so there were, there were probably five people in this nursing home in wheelchairs holding up a sign that said, please come visit us, we're lonely. You know, and I'm driving a fax truck and I got tears coming down my face. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what? I, I, I need to do something to try to help some of these folks. And so there's always somebody we can help. If nothing else, we can sow time. We can give gifts. You know, we can, we can sow finances to get the gospel to the nations. But that's, that's a thousand sermons I could preach is what takes place on the mission field. But these things take place here too. People are in need here, you know, here as well. And God has given us giftings to reach them. God has created His church as an avenue to reach them. Is that we do it together, we do it as individual lives, that we live as a sacrifice to, to better somebody else's life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I told you to get a Luke, but you can forget Luke. I told, told you you got it wrong. So, St. Nicholas lived his life to lift up others who are in challenging situations, and we need to do the same, to live our lives as a sacrifice and benefit of others. The next thing we can learn from St. Nick is this, is that we should never be in it for the glory. Never seek the glory. St. Nicholas did his alms in private not to seek glory from any man. And so, you know, if people give, you know, to missions through us in our ministry, i got to write them a receipt, we got to keep track of it. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is don't do something to, get, to draw attention to yourself. Don't do something that, that I'm, I'm going to get glory in it. Look how great I am. And so... Nicholas lived that way. He was a humble man. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 12, it says this, Whoever exalts himself 
will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, in the Old Testament, there was one that endeavored to exalt himself. Do you remember this? And so exalt himself and with a bunch of angels. And the Bible says God cast him down. It is offensive to God when we try to exalt ourselves, when we want attention for ourselves. We need to live empty to bring glory unto Him. In Luke 14, 11, it says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Similar. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but giveth grace, giveth grace to the humble. If we're truly Christians, we'll live empty in an avenue, in a way to benefit others. To benefit Christ, to lift up God, We'll live in a way to benefit people and lift up others, to help the next guy in line, and we'll, we'll live our lives in, in a way to, to benefit our neighbor. And so, uh, praise God. That's how we're to live our lives, as humble, and in a way as a servant to the master, to those around us, to our neighbors. Billy Graham, one of my maybe my favorite preacher of all time, Billy Graham, somebody asked him one time, he said, Billy, why are your crusades so big when others are not? And he said this, he said, I learned from very early on, Never touch the glory. I took my family not long ago. We were in the south, and we were coming back in North Carolina. I encourage you guys, if you've never been there, go by the Billy Graham Museum. You'll see history of what he did, but throughout the entire museum, all glory is pointed to Christ and what God did for him and his salvation. And I'll throw this out. This is a free nugget, but this was great. So we walked out. Their graves are there. Uh, Billy and Ruth Graham, their, epitaph, you know, their graves are in the back. You can walk out and see them. And, uh, you know, where they're laid, their bodies are laid. And uh, Ruth Graham, who had a sense of humor, one time was driving down the road and got caught in a construction site. And she saw a sign that the construction workers were holding, and she put, the she put that sign on her epitaph. It said this, it says, Thank you for your patience. Construction is now complete. I thought that was slick. Amen. God will give us a reward if we honor Him and put... Put him first. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, it says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. The Bible says if we honor other people and lift other people up, if we drag other people along and endeavor to lift people up to their highest level, to bring out the gifts, the talents within them, every person in here has been given gifts and talents. But it takes other people, not only them, but it takes other people to help lift those things up. And the Bible says that if we will live our lives in that fashion and help lift people up to the highest level, God will not forget it. And uh, He's not unjust. He won't forget your work. And so God will honor you. And God will bless you if you live your life to lift others up. Live your life as a sacrifice for others to bring glory into the King. And uh, just like Nicholas, one day we might be able to touch the nations. We might be able to change the culture. And who knows, one day we might become a legend. Who knows? So, praise God. Let's all stand. <clears throat> My wife told me to preach short today, so I tried. <laughs> so, God's good. Amen. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, I come, I say it every time I'm here, but I sincerely mean it. Thank God for Jesus. And uh, where would you be without Him? He's a good God.